Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast. This is our audio version of our weekly blog, and my name is Trevor Cummings, your author and your host of this podcast. This week, we're going to talk about the article that was written called, What Direction Does Your Cash Flow? And this one is one you're going to like. There's a common question that I get. And when I say common, I mean I get this question a lot. And here's the question. Should I pay off my mortgage? Man, that sounds like a really simple question. Let me tell you why it's hard to answer. One, when people ask that question, they've already figured out the answer in their head. And I'm going to tell you, most people just really want to pay off their mortgage because they have this anxiety about having debt hanging over their head. And we're going to talk about that. The second reason it's difficult to answer is, listen to the question, should I pay off my mortgage? That sounds like a yes or no question, right? But man, does it depend. You have to go through some financial planning, some questions, understanding somebody's particular situation, because for some people, the answer will be yes, and for other people, the answer will be no. So this article was definitely longer than our normal article. We, we intentionally try to keep the articles to be about a thousand words. This was about double that. But the reason is I wanted to have a somewhat exhaustive conversation so that you have all the facts on the table to understand how to answer this question for yourself. We opened the article with this idea of really encouraging people to not be stubborn. And the quote that I'm going to read, because I like the quote, when John Adams was uh, in his defense argument for the Boston Massacre, he said, facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they can all alter the state of the facts and the evidence. I love that quote, that facts are stubborn. Because it reminds me that facts are stubborn, but I shouldn't be. Most of us are really stubborn, right? We have these opinions, whether they're political or religious or financial. It's hard to get us off of that pedestal of what we believe. And I've learned, even in the time that I've worked in the finance industry, that some things that I believe just aren't true. So what I want to challenge you today, before we go into today's article, is I really want you to be open-minded that when we're talking about financial planning topics, man, they're evidence-based. They're things that can be answered. They're mathematical. They're factual. So instead of having a strong opinion that might be linked to our emotions, we need to slow down and look at all the facts on the table and be able to decide things based empirically and based on logic rather than just kind of our knee-jerk reaction of what we already feel. So here's where I want to start you. Before we understand how to answer that question, we need to understand the difference between cash flow and net worth. So let's talk about it. Net worth, think about of a net worth statement. What is it? Imagine it being two sides. One side is your assets, uh, things that you own. Things or assets could be your checking or savings account. They could be your the home that you own. They could be uh, jewelry. They could be automobiles. It's anything that, I don't have another way to call it, it's something that you own, so it's an asset. The other side of the net worth statement would be liabilities. Easy to define, debts. So let's say most people are going to have, on the debt side, because of today's conversation, they're going to have a mortgage. So when you look at a net worth statement, it's going to show you when you add up all your assets and you minus your liabilities, what are you actually worth? So let's say you had $3 million in assets and you had a $1 million in liabilities. What would your net worth be? It'd be $2 million. $3 million minus $1 million gets you $2 million. The reason you need to understand that is because your mortgage sits on one side of the balance sheet or the net worth statement, and your assets sit on the other side. If you're going to make a decision to pay off the mortgage, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to use some money from the assets to reduce the liabilities on the right side. 
Now, this seems like so long-winded, like, why are you explaining all this, Trevor? The reason I'm explaining that is because if, and let's just take a really easy example, if I have $700,000 in an account, that's an asset, and I have a $700,000 mortgage, that's a liability, if I choose to pay off that mortgage, right, I'm going to take $700,000 out of my account, I'm going to pay off the mortgage, which is going to make it $0, and what's going to happen to my net worth? Nothing's going to change. So if you pay off your mortgage, your net worth will not actually change. Okay, that's, that's interesting to think about. But what will change? Your cash flow. Your cash flow will definitely change. And this is the way your cash flow will change. The cash flow is a, a document that's capturing all of your income versus all of your expenses and showing what the net result is. It can be on a monthly basis. It can be on an annual basis. And again, let's oversimplify it. Let's say I'm getting $300,000 a year in wages. When you look at all my liability payments and my taxes and my living expenses, let's say I'm spending $200,000. What that means is at the end of the year, I made $300,000, I spent $200,000, and I had a surplus of $100,000. That was what's left over. So that's a basic idea of a cash flow statement. And I gave you a photo of that, um, which you can see in the article. So if you were to pay off a mortgage, well, what ends up happening? Well, that liability payment disappears. So when it disappears, it flows directly to your surplus. So again, if you pay off your mortgage, what's going to happen is your net worth is going to be unchanged because you're really just going to move an asset from the left side to pay off a liability on the right side, but the total number doesn't change. And your cash flow will improve because you're going to eliminate an expense, your liability payment, your mortgage, and you're going to have a higher surplus. So if I stopped the conversation right there, for me, it's like a no-brainer. Hey, why would we not like pay off the mortgage every time, every time? Because why? Because your net worth is going to be unchanged, so there's no downside there, and your cash flow is going to improve. That sounds like a win-win, but we got to go a little bit deeper. When you pay off that mortgage, you're using something on the asset side. That asset does have some sort of expected return associated with it. So we actually need to understand this idea between interest expense and interest earned. If those terms aren't common, let's just change them and make them easier. So my mortgage is an interest expense. Uh, When you look at your mortgage statement, every month you're going to have some go towards principal and some goes towards interest. If you looked at that over the whole year or the life of the loan, you're going to have a total interest expense. Now my assets... In my last example, I said I had you know a seven hundred thousand dollar mortgage and a seven hundred thousand uh, dollar account. Let's call that an investment account. Well, if it is an investment account, it also has an expected rate of return, right? It might be in something that gives a fixed rate of return, or it might be something a mix of stocks and bonds and things of that nature that gives a, a varying return. What we need to understand is, hey, one side is giving me a return, which is a positive, and the other side is giving me an expense, which is a negative. But what's the net result of those two? So if we're going to think about paying off our mortgage, we need to understand, hey, I'm going to be giving up an asset that earns some sort of rate of return to pay off an expense um, in a mortgage. And what is greater, the expense or the interest earned? Because conceptually, if I can earn more on my investment account than the expense costs me, that's going to be a net positive, right? Perfect. You've got that understanding. So now when we actually look at a mortgage, most mortgages are what we call amortized. So think about a 10-year, 15-year, 30-year fixed mortgage. When I use the word amortized, this is what I mean. 
the payment across those 30 years is going to be fixed. But along the way, even though the payment's fixed, like let's say the payment was $3,000. Of that $3,000, some portion is going to go towards principal and some portion is going to go towards interest. If you graft that out over the life of the loan over the 30 years, what you'll find is that at the beginning, more goes towards interest and less towards principal. And then it starts to shift as the loan gets further. So what I mean is that the interest expense is reducing over time because you're paying down the principal and it's being recalculated on what the interest expense is. So to make a fun and easy hypothetical, in the article, you'll see a graph where we said, hey, what if we had an investment that had a fixed rate of return at 3.75% over 30 years and our mortgage was a 3.75% interest rate? Now, I'm going to tell you, intuitively, I just said the same number twice. I said that my expected return is 3.75 and that my interest expense is 3.75. So we would think at the end of the 30 years, the result is that the uh, benefits would be the same as the cost and there would be no net positive, right? But what we have to remember, because the loan is amortizing, that interest expense is actually shrinking over time. So what's the result over 30 years on a 3.75% mortgage and a 3.75% rate of return? Well, the result is an additional million dollars. Well, almost. You you can go to the article and get the exact number. Little less than a million dollars of benefit is created with that 3.75% compounding over time. Wow, that's a pretty big number. And I'm using the same exact rate as the borrowing cost. Uh, That wouldn't be intuitive to most of us. Now, you have to look at your own particular situation and your own expected return. Maybe with the way that you're investing, the expected return would be higher or lower, and it depends. That's why you have to break this down for your situation because you have to understand, hey, what is the actual interest expense for me? And on the other side of this money that I could use to pay down the loan, what is that actual expected rate of return? And what you want to measure is you want to measure what is the potential net benefit. Once you do that, you're getting factual evidence to be able to make a decision on what's best for you. And the reason that I'm pressing so hard on that is because most of us don't like every month to cut that check to our mortgage. It feels burdensome. Most of us don't like this idea that there's this $700,000 dark cloud floating out there of money we owe to somebody. So from an emotional perspective, if we can afford it, We just want to write that big check and get rid of that thing, clean our hands from it, and never have to think about it again. But it's not always the best decision for your financial plan. That's why I'm saying, hey, you got to go deeper and understand all the details. Now, what we talked about today so far was kind of what I would call the meat and potatoes of what's important when making the comparison, but it's not the only factor. I left a section in the article talking about liquidity and tax benefits, and we'll cover that quickly. So The tax benefits are easy, so let's talk about that first. So when you do have an interest expense, um, if that interest expense, it could be a tax benefit to you. Some of us might have a standard deduction that's greater than the interest expense, so it doesn't really show up as a benefit, but many of us will have a benefit from being able to deduct that interest. So that has to be factored into your equation because if you do pay it off, essentially you're forfeiting that tax benefit and that benefit does show up to you in a positive fashion, right? Gives you an opportunity to essentially pay less in taxes. So that's easy to understand. Here's the one that's really hard for people to understand. 
But the longer I've been in finance, I've, I've, I've begun to value this even more than I did at the beginning. And it's this idea of liquidity. What a big finance word that's not obvious to all of us. But liquidity, let's, again, oversimplify it. All it means is, hey, how quickly or how easily can I convert an asset from uh, itself into cash? So let's use an example, right? If I owned... Um, a common stock, a, a name that we might all know, you know, a, a big common stock, and I wanted to sell it, I would just go onto the stock exchange with a few clicks of a button. I would find a seller and I'd be able to convert that stock into cash, like pretty seamlessly and really cost efficient. So the liquidity of that, pretty easy, right? We understand that a stock um, has volatility to it, so it might not be the price that I exactly want to sell it at. But even if we used a, a more conservative uh, example, if we had a three month government treasury, the most liquid thing. I can find a buyer anytime. It's going to be very close to the, the price point. It's very seamless, very easy. Have you ever sold a house? What's the liquidity on that? <laughs> you have to put it on the market. You Most of the time, you're going to get an agent. You have to find a buyer. You got the negotiation. Once you go through the negotiation, you're going to have some sort of closing period. Oh, man, it's difficult. I, I bought a house recently, and I, I made a joke with my friend. I never understood why I could sell a million dollars worth of stock from my cell phone. But, man, if you want to buy a million-dollar house, you're ready to de- dedicate the next 60 days to a whole lot of paperwork, a whole lot of conversations, a whole lot of inspections. So the liquidity profile is very different. Now, why am I making this point? I'm making this point is because if you completely pay off your mortgage, right, and we go back to our net worth statement, What's going to happen is that asset, you know, in your investment account that had a very, very favorable liquidity profile, maybe depending on what you own. So uh, something with a very favorable liquidity profile is going to pay off a liability. Then you're going to have an asset, which is your home, which has a totally different liquidity profile. And if you want to access that equity in your home in the future, it is not easy right? You're going to have to go get a home equity line of credit. You're going to have to do a cash out refinance. You're going to have to do a reverse mortgage. So you have to understand if you do pay off that loan, what you're doing is you are moving more money into an asset where you can't access the money easily, and that has to be considered. So again, not the the primary point of this article, but like I said, liquidity is important, and there are things that happen or events that come up where you need access to money, and you're not always going to have 30, 60, 90 days to be able to access it. So having easy access matters. And then the last part I just want to end this article with, it's another thing that's been on my mind a lot, and it's this idea of opportunity cost. By definition, opportunity cost means that, hey, if you come to a decision where you can do A or B, whatever decision you choose, there is a cost to it, meaning you're giving up the potential benefit of the opposing choice that you didn't make. And let me explain what that means. When I talked uh, about this today, I said, hey, it, it stinks paying that mortgage, right? It stinks writing that check. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It stinks having this burden uh, above us that we owe X amount of money, which is usually a big dollar amount, you know, $700,000 or something like that. So it, there's a motivation to pay it off. And we can, um, what's the word to say? We can emotionally feel that. Like we have to feel writing that check every month. What you're not going to feel is you're not going to feel that opportunity cost. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So in the illustration I did in the article, when I was comparing a 3.75% mortgage to a 3.75% rate of return, we learned that over those 30 years, that opportunity cost was a million dollars. That's a big number. So the point I'm making is 
we can't be so quick to be distraught about the obvious things that we don't like, right? Like cutting that check. We have to also consider that if we do do that, what is the cost of that decision? And there is a financial cost to that in something that you're giving up and not realizing it. So again, I know that that's kind of like an abstract thought and it it is in front of mind to us. But if you do the type of due diligence I'm talking about and you do this comparative analysis, you're going to be able to see what that is. Then you're going to be able to make a decision to say, oh, actually, for this situation, I'm going to keep my mortgage because my potential opportunity for growing my net worth is much greater in this example. But again, I'm going to say this, it depends on your particular situation, right? And that's why you have to sit down with your advisor and you have to go through this math and go through this to figure out, hey, what's the best for you? My encouragement to you is to not just make a quick decision based on what you feel or what you think. Like look at all the options and then from there, figure out what's the best fit for you. And that's all I got for you today. I hope this article was helpful. If you have other questions that you really want answered that are really common questions like this one, I would love to write an article about it. So send those questions to me, tcummings at thebonsongroup.com. Additionally, if you would like to rate the podcast, I'd appreciate it. Leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. And until next week, I'm going to go ahead and sign off now. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team at Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.